The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning. Man, what a morning already, huh? Thank you, Micah. That was really powerful. Um, glad to be back. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Steadfast, and uh, I had the privilege of traveling to Israel um, uh, the 17th to the 26th or something of uh, May. So thank you for letting me go. It was uh, phenomenal. I'm going to do a slideshow today of everything I saw. So uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't get too excited. I'm not doing that after all. Uh, some people have asked though, and uh, I would like, we took like 600 pictures each, I think. And so it's going to be a minute. Uh, we got to process those. Um, and, and then I would, but I would love at some point to be able to share uh, with those of you who want to, um, what we saw and, and, and what we learned there. Um, I did bring one thing. So I got this, I stole this rock from <laughs> Caesarea Philippi. Don't worry. It's fine. There's a plenty of rocks. And, um, <laughs> Caesarea Philippi is the place known as the gates of hell. So in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, um, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's an actual place where child sacrifice was done. Over 300 different gods and goddesses were worshiped. And I was sitting there and um, it struck me that all, I mean, there's inscriptions on these rocks from all these different you know, false gods who have all come and gone but the church of Jesus Christ is still blowing and going, baby. Yeah. And, uh, and will, because the gates of hell, like the, 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 um, the, the spring that was called the gates of hell is shut down, like it dried up, but the church is still going. So this is like a little token to me to remember every time I'm gonna put, I'm gonna like glue it right here on this lectern. So I remember the gates of hell will not prevail against God and his church, amen? amen. So with that, let's open our Bibles. Second Samuel chapter nine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Second Samuel chapter nine. If you're new around here, we've been in a uh, series looking at the major events in the life of David who became King David. And um, it's taken us through the books of first and second Samuel. Now we've moved pretty quickly through this story. And so if you, if you are unfamiliar with second Samuel or first Samuel, I would encourage you to go back at some point and read both books because there is a lot of detail that we've missed, uh, but it's a phenomenal story. And I want to remind you that this is real people in real places at real times in history some of which I stood on two weeks ago, okay? It's amazing. Now, to give you a little recap, if you're unfamiliar with the story, a man named Saul was Israel's first king, okay? Uh, the people of God asked for the king. God didn't necessarily want to give him a king, but uh, because they had rejected him, he said, hey, give them what they want. So Saul becomes king and he's like the worst, okay? He's not a good king. Uh, he, he continually rejects the Lord and disobeys the Lord. And so the Lord rejects him ultimately and tells the prophet Samuel, hey, I want you to anoint a new man. He's going to become the king. Long story short, David is anointed as a teenage boy and he will eventually, it's going to take 15 to 20 years, but he will eventually become King of Israel. Now, David rises to prominence as a war hero, David and Goliath. Most of you've kind of heard that story. And, uh, and then he becomes really good friends, the best of friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan. And those boys are tight. And that friendship bothers Saul because Saul is now threatened by David because he has a suspicion that David's the one who's going to become king. Over the course of several years, uh, David has his life attempted. Saul tries to kill David at least six different times. And David has ample opportunity during this season to kill Saul. There's at least two examples we see in the Bible where David is, is with uh, Saul at his most vulnerable and he could kill him, but Saul, uh, David refuses to take shortcuts to God's promises. Eventually, Saul and Jonathan are both killed in battle against the Philistines. Saul and his loyalists try to hold on to the throne. There's a long war that takes place between the household of Saul and the household of David, but David is ultimately victorious. He's made king of Judah and then ultimately made king of all Israel. And he defeats the Philistines, finally. 
He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and the Lord gives him peace on all sides. Peace on all sides. What we're gonna see today is an act of life-changing kindness and mercy from David to another. And, and as I was thinking about and processing this week, as I was preparing, this is one of my favorite stories, by the way, in all the Bible. I was thinking, you know, how big a difference can receiving kindness and mercy actually make in a human being's life? And there's a difference, right? Like some, some acts of kindness are just somebody being nice to you and it like doesn't really change you that much, but it's like nice that they did that for you. And then other acts of kindness are so big and so merciful that it does change you. And um, I'll give you one brief story. Um, my wife didn't want me to tell this, but she's gonna get to demonstrate kindness and mercy to me because I'm gonna tell it anyway. When we were, we started dating as teenagers and uh, we were both Christians, but neither of us were really following the Lord at that moment. Um, and so we made a lot of foolish decisions. And um, some of those caused some significant pain to her family. And we were estranged from her family for a couple of years. And uh, the Lord was kind to us and he brought him back, brought us back to himself. And we both got plugged in and really involved in church and the Lord was growing us. And then we got engaged. And, and, and so we're engaged and uh, we went through this pre-marriage course and the book we went through ultimately wasn't that helpful. Um, but there was one section in it that you have to give to your future in-laws. And, and it had, I can't, don't remember all the questions, but one of the questions was, how should I refer to you? Right? So, um, I mean, there was questions about like, hey, what's your expectation for holidays? And, you know, all that stuff you deal with with in-laws. This, this question was, how should I refer to you as my, as my future in-laws, right? So, and I'm thinking, okay, because we've had some estrangement, uh, because it's been tension, like maybe it's going to be sir and sir. They were both military. So uh, maybe it's going to be like, don't look us in the eye. I don't know what it's going to be, but maybe it's just, hey, call us Steve and Tammy. And so we give them the book and they give it back to us. And um, I'm reading through it. And, and when the question says, how should we refer to you? They put mom and dad. It's still 20 years, but it's, it has this massive impact on me to know the pain I had caused them and for them to welcome me into the family was massive. That's kindness and mercy. And I hope you've experienced something like that in your life. Okay, wipe the tears, move on. Uh, so let's look. At 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to read the whole story, and then I'll pray. We'll dive in, and um, hopefully I can move through this quickly and get you on with your day. 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Great baby name. And they called him to David... And the king, maybe not, as you see later. And they, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Take note of that. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And King, sent, uh, and King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar and Mephibosheth, this is the boy's name, this is the man's name, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring uh, in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord, uh, my Lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Weird ending, we'll get to that. Let's pray. Father, uh, what a gift to be gathered with the people of God this morning. What a gift to be with this church family whom I, I love so dearly. And I pray that, Lord, you would do what only you can do through your word, by your spirit, um, which is to make the reality of the love of Christ and the gospel real to our hearts. Only you can do that. At best, um, my efforts are an inspirational talk without the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, please come. Fill me and empower me that, that as I preach this word, as I do my level best to rely on you and to preach this word, that you, by your power, move in our hearts this morning. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. I think those lights got brighter. I was like, am I going to heaven? It was weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> If you're a note taker, I'm gonna give you uh, the point and then we'll talk about it in verses one through four. I want you to see the pursuit of kindness, the pursuit of kindness. So I'm not gonna reread it, but here's essentially what happens. David has peace on all sides. And he says, hey, is there anyone left in Saul's house, in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? Now this is odd for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, usually royalty, of course, passed through family lines. We see that even in places like England uh, uh, today, right? But if royalty somehow transitioned outside the family line, what was customary is that you would eliminate any family member of the previous regime, okay? To, to prevent any potential uprising from their sons or, or others in their family to retake the throne. Imagine if we did that in politics today. <laughs> like the new president, no, 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 okay. But it would happen in every generation, right? So you're like, oh, get rid of that president and his family. But also the one you like was also eliminated already, right? So it's like, it just be, would be wild. But this is kind of what would happen. So he calls this guy, Ziba, who's one of the servants of Saul's house. And he says, hey, is there anybody left? And so they search high and low nationwide. And they find that Jonathan, who was David's best friend, still has a living adult son. He says, bring him to me. Now, one thing you need to know about this guy, Mephibosheth. Now, his name is spelled out, I think, seven different times in this passage, and it's a mouth, it's a tongue twister. So I'm gonna call him Bo. <laughs> Mephibosheth, okay? Bo. I just don't like saying the whole name all that many times. Um, his original name was likely Meribal. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter four, we learn about him a little bit. He was um, five years old when Jonathan and Saul were both killed in battle against the Philistines. And so uh, Meribal's nurse picked him up. And of course, the, the king is dead. The king's son is dead. It's, we got to run for our lives because the, the normal tradition is they're going to eliminate everybody in the family. So she scoops up this five-year-old boy and she's running with him to flee. And she trips or falls or something and she drops him. Or maybe she falls on him. I don't know. But he breaks at least his ankles or feet or something. Both of them. And of course, this is thousands of years ago. There's no urgent care. And so no one can reset the bones and, and they heal crooked and he's crippled for the rest of his life. Not only that, he's lost his father and his grandfather. He's lost the, the royal uh, palace. He's, he's lost the inheritance, okay? And so he's moved off to this place called Lodabar, which means no pasture or nothing or no good. And that's where he lives out his days. Um, it, it appears that his name eventually becomes Mephibosheth, which one translation of that name is breathing shame. Breathing shame. Imagine the pain and the isolation of this child as he grows up. Dad's gone, grandpa's gone, don't have really any family to speak of, no wealth, right? He grows up poor and alone in this nothing, no good, no pasture kind of place. Now think about this. The entire trajectory of this young boy's life was turned upside down in an instant, right? And largely it's because of David. 
and all he's known his entire life is disability and discomfort and deficit and desolation. And now the king's looking for him. But unbeknownst to him, David is after him, not to curse him, not to harm him, but to bless him. David says three times in this passage, I want to show him kindness. In fact, one time he says the kindness of God. Now, uh, in the Hebrew language, the word that's translated here as kindness or kindness of God, and there's other ways of translating it, uh, is the word hesed. Or can you say that with me? Hesed? Hesed. Okay. If you really want to be like authentic Hebrew, you got to like cough something up when you say it. So it's like hesed is really how you do it. But hesed is fine for us Anglos. And so... Um, it, it is such a unique word in the Hebrew language that it takes all these other descriptors to sort of describe what it is. So sometimes you see it translated as the steadfast love of God or the loving kindness of God or the mercy of God. It's, it's all of those wrapped into one. one. One scholar said it combines generosity and love and enduring commitment all into one word. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which um, uh, many of you have kind of raised your kids on, Sally Lloyd-Jones, I think her explanation of, of, of this kind of love is the best. She says, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's Hesed. And that's what David wants to demonstrate to this grandson of his enemy, the word hesed is used 245 times in the Old Testament and um, mostly about God's love, okay, or God's love shown to others through a person. But, but here's what I want you to notice. David is not reacting here. David is not responding to a need. There's no guilt. There's no sense of obligation. He's taking initiative. He is proactive. He's got peace on all sides and he goes, you know what? I'm looking for someone I can show God's kindness to. He's actually keeping his promise. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, when David is on the run from Jonathan, or sorry, sorry, from Saul, he meets up with Jonathan and Jonathan says to him, hey, look, I don't think my dad's gonna harm you, but if he does, make me a promise. Will you show Hesed to my family? Later, we saw this right before I left for Israel. Um, David's in the cave and Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself and then that whole uh, issue. And, and then David uh, comes out and confronts Saul and, and Saul knows it, he was at this most vulnerable moment and David didn't kill him. And he says, hey, 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 just make me one promise. Don't kill my family line. Will you show me said kindness, steadfast love? And David commits to it. No one expected David to keep this promise. Saul's his enemy, okay? It was also like 20 years ago. And he could have said, ah, I mean, I was a young boy. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't really, but he doesn't. David was so moved by the love and kindness and mercy that Jonathan had showed him that he decided, he determined that he would keep his promise to Jonathan and yes, even to Saul, even if it cost him. One commentator I read this week said this about promises. I thought it was really interesting. For the believer, a sacred promise made in the past directs and determines what fidelity looks like in the present. It's like a, like a marriage vow, right? The sacred promise made in the past directs and determines what fidelity looks like in the present. I could look at my wife and go, I made that promise to you like 20 years ago. I was 22 years old. I didn't know what I was saying. And that's how a lot of marriages end, sadly. And I'm not, no shame if that's how yours ended, okay? Um, but I look at her every day and I think, I made a sacred promise to you 20 years ago. And, and by all the strength and power that I have in the spirit of God within me, I'm keeping those promises. Keeping promises is almost a lost art today, isn't it? It seems like we, we sign contracts because we're pretty sure people aren't going to keep their end of the bargain. 
We can't believe anything politicians tell us. In fact, we expect not to believe what they tell us. Nobody keeps their promises. Are you someone who keeps your promises? Is your yes, yes? Is your no, no? Or do you waffle? So, the pursuit of kindness. David is pursuing someone that he can show kindness to. You guys with me? All right, look at verses five through eight. I want you to see here the experience of kindness. The experience of kindness. Then King David sent and brought Mephibosheth, or Bo, to the house, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Bo, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Bo! And he said, behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness, has said, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now, Bo was only five years old when his father, Jonathan, died. So he likely had no memory of the friendship between Jonathan and David. He had no memory of David coming over to the house or of Jonathan speaking highly of his best friend, David. As far as he's concerned, he's the enemy. And he's responsible for both his dad and his grandfather uh, um, being killed, even though it was the Philistines who, who killed them. And so he's got to be anxious. There are wildly different expectations for this meeting. Okay, David is excited. He's thrilled. There is a family member of Jonathan that I get to show kindness to. And, and, and Bo is thinking, this is it. It's over. This is my last stand. And then he's going to kill me. And so he comes in and you don't see him try to prop himself up. You don't see him try to, you know, look strong and courageous. What does he do? He falls down on the floor before the king which is both a posture of reverence, but also fear. How do we know fear? Because David says to him, do not fear. <laughs> you don't have to be told not to fear if you're not afraid, right? But he t so he can tell that Bo is shaking in his boots, right? He is fearful for his life. He knows this is it. It's over. It's going to end. And, and David looks at him and he says, Mephibosheth! It's David. How you been? Like, he wants to interact with him. And, and, and Mephib I mean, Bo doesn't know how to deal with it. So he says, I, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Okay, real talk. What kind of servant of the king could he really be? This is going to sound horrible, but this is what the reality was in this culture. If you were disabled physically in any way, you had no value in this culture. This is an agrarian society. With a physical disability, you cannot work the land. This is a war culture. We'll see later on, probably next week. Uh, it, it says in, in 2 Samuel uh, 11, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. So it's like, we have like football season, they had battle season. Like it's just kind of how it went. And if you can't fight, you are worthless. So though he's the king's grandson, the former king, he has nothing to offer. He has nothing to bring to the table. He couldn't work the land. He couldn't fight. He had no value in this society. And David looks at him, this worthless, crippled, poor, broke from nowhere, nothing place. And he says, I want to show you kindness. There's actually three things he shows him here. He wants to give him. He says, um, I, I'm here to show you kindness, okay? Um, I'm gonna restore the land to you and you're always gonna have a place at my table. He adopts them into his own family. Steadfast love, kindness, mercy has said, remember I told you combines love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one, all into one word. And here he says here, I'm gonna show you kindness, love. 
I'm gonna restore all of your grandfather's wealth, generosity, and you're always gonna have a place at my table. Enduring commitment. He is showing Mephibosheth the steadfast love of God, the, 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 the hesed, the kindness, the mercy of God. And this is totally unexpected to Bo. He doesn't know how to process. He's a huh? I don't understand. Me? Who am I? I'm a dead dog, which is like useless, right? Almost as useless as a cat. <laughs> don't email me, please. I don't want to delete your email. Um, He has no category for this kind of mercy. And guess what? Neither do we. Neither do we. Is it not ingrained into us, almost from birth, that acceptance follows achievement? That we must prove ourselves to others, prove ourselves to ourselves, prove ourselves to God. We and the world reinforces this, right? This is just how the world seems to work. Acceptance follows achievement. So if you can achieve, you're gonna be really popular and accepted. And if you can't achieve, stinks to be you. And so we learn we must be good. We must be strong. We must be confident and capable. We must be put together or at least look like we are put together. And so we spend a ton of time performing and pretending, performing and pretending, performing and pretending in order to achieve acceptance. And it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And you know, you know what makes it more exhausting is that we know deep down inside how weak and crippled we really are. But we can't let other people see that because then they won't accept us. So we've got to pretend and we've got to perform. And you wonder why in the year 2023, in one of the most prosperous countries in all the world, more than half of our population is on anti-anxiety and depression medication. Now listen, if you have a physiological issue and you need it, praise God for the common grace of medication. But I would contend that a lot of us are prescribed drugs for things that can be solved by the gospel. And we are so busy pretending and performing and trying to earn and achieve acceptance that we are a absolute mess on the inside. We are totally crippled emotionally and spiritually because we think the way to acceptance is achievement. We've got it totally backwards. One of the reasons I love this story so much is because Bo can do nothing to prove himself to the king. He is totally at the mercy of the king. And so are we. And David says to him, I am going to show you kindness. Why, does, why is he gonna show him kindness? Because he saw him hobble in there and he's like, hey, I like you. We're going to show you some kindness. Is it because he showed himself to be worthy? No. He says, I will show it to you for Jonathan's sake. You had nothing to do with this, Bo. This is all earned for you. Don't, don't you see the shadow that the cross of Jesus Christ is casting on this text? I mean... Let me take you to Ephesians 2 really quickly. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ephesians 2, do that right now. If not, uh, I don't know if it might not be on the screen, but you can listen along. Listen to this. This is Paul reminding us of what's true about the gospel. And he says that we were not just crippled by sin, we, we were dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, and you, that's you <laughs> and me. We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That means enemies of God. 
like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, this is Greek, not Hebrew, and so the word here is not hesed, but it's the same meaning. His great mercy, his amazing love, his, his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And just in case you wanna to try to prop yourself back up on your crippled legs, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We were God's enemies, crippled, not just crippled, dead in our sins, God's enemies, but he made us alive. He seated us. He gave us the riches of the kingdom of God. Why? Why? For Jesus' sake. Ain't he good? For Jesus' sake. It was Jesus's achievement, Jesus's sacrifice, Jesus's triumph that is now ours. Praise God. And all you and I do is receive it with empty hands, the empty hands of faith. And the moment that you receive from Jesus this great gift of salvation, you are instantly forgiven of every sin, past, present, and even future. You are credited with the perfect moral record of Jesus Christ. And you are adopted into the family of God called a son or daughter of the most high God, and you did nothing. Jesus did it all for you. A friend of mine years ago gave this analogy, which I thought was so beautiful. He said, it's like, it's like you're in a courtroom and it's a, it's, a, it's a capital crime. And because of what Jesus has done, the, the judge looks at you and he bangs the gavel and he says, not guilty. But then... But then he gets off the bench and he takes off his judicial robe and he comes around and he puts his arm around you and he says, all right, son, all right, daughter, let's go home. And he takes you to his house. <laughs> See, here's the problem. A lot of you understand that you're forgiven. You just don't think you're loved. You, you know that Jesus paid for your sin, but you think that God just kind of lets you in the kingdom and he's like, all right, just don't screw anything up, would you? Stay in the corner and don't look at me. Please don't look at me and nothing could be further from the truth. When God looks at you in Christ, he delights, he smiles because he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Do you know that you are loved with the same ferocity that Jesus himself is loved by the Father? I, I wish you could get it. I wish I could get it. I wish that truth would sink down into your soul. It would change everything. Have you experienced that kind of, the kindness that has said the mercy of God in that way? You can today. It's yours today. By faith, empty hands. That's for some of you. Okay, moving on, last little bit. Still hanging in? Last thing I want you to see here is, is I'm going to call it the response to kindness. Um, Bo's response to the kindness of David here. Look at verses um, 9 through 13. Let me find my place. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 9. So I'm just going to summarize. The king told Ziba, hey, this is what's going to happen, okay? Um, all this land is going back to Saul's family and you who are, were Saul's servant, you're now gonna be Bo's servant, okay? Not only you, but your, all your sons and all your servants. He had 15 sons and 20 servants, which means this is a massive estate. Massive, okay? It's gonna take all these people to work the land and to cultivate. And this is gonna provide for Bo an income. 
right? Because he's crippled, he's disabled, he can't work, he can't do. And so this is yours now, right? Now you have a stable source of income, but he's always gonna eat at my table. So I'm not providing him this so he can go eat at his own table by himself. He's, he's at my table. Imagine for a minute what those meals would have been like, right? Here's David, here's Absalom before he goes crazy. Amnon and Tamar and Solomon's coming in after a day writing some Proverbs and, and they're all sitting around the table and they're laughing and cutting and joking up. And then you hear this like, that's a crutch. It's Mephibosheth. He's coming to the table, right? And he sits down and they're like, hey, how's your day been? What's going on? And they welcome him in and he is a son to the king and a brother to those other siblings. What would the conversation have been like? There's a day coming. We're gonna be sitting at a table with our king. And Paul's gonna be there. And David will be there. And Peter. And Charles Spurgeon. Luther. Probably Luther. Um, <laughs> The Wesleys might even be there, who knows? And, <laughs> and we'll all gather around and you're gonna, like, you're gonna be treated as a son or a daughter. It's amazing. Okay, that's not in my notes. How big a difference, how big a difference does mercy and kindness make in someone's life? I'm gonna fast forward you to 2 Samuel chapter 19. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm gonna kind of summarize a little bit of this. Here's what happens a little later in the story. Absalom, who's one of David's sons, David, he makes some mistakes. We're gonna see a huge failure next week uh, with Bathsheba. It goes really sideways. And there's a lot of fallout and consequences from David's sin and his bad judgment, okay? Eventually his son Absalom um, basically enters into a coup d'etat and he wants to take leadership from David. So David is running for his life. He has to flee Jerusalem, okay? Well, Ziba, our boy Ziba, this is why you shouldn't name your kid Ziba, He's still a Saul loyalist. And so he takes, things, he takes things into his own hands. And he lies to David. David said, hey, where, where's Mephibosheth? And he goes, oh, he's, he's a loyalist to Absalom now. He's, he stayed back in Jerusalem at the palace. He's not coming with you. And, and so David, in a, in a rash moment of judgment, he says, you know what, fine. All of Saul's land, it's yours now, Ziba. Well, the story continues. There's a battle. Absalom, David's son, is killed. It's safe for David to return to Jerusalem now. He's coming back to Jerusalem. And in chapter 19 of uh, 2 Samuel, we see this. This is verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, he said to him, why did you not go with me? And Bo answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For, for your servant, that's him. I said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king, but my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord, the King, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I to cry to the King? Then the King said to him, why speak any more about your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Bo said to the King, let him take it all. Some sign, Lord, the King has come safely home. Okay, here's what's going on. He comes back, David's coming back into the city and here's Bo. And it says he hasn't taken care of his feet, right? This is a culture where you wore sandals or you were barefoot. His feet are pretty gross, okay? He didn't clip his toenails, he didn't do anything. His, his beard is disheveled, his hair is disheveled, his clothes. This is a sign. He's not just like depressed, okay? This is a sign of lament. This is a sign of mourning. This is a sign of loyalty. I will not take care of myself until the king returns. In other words, it was David's kindness and mercy to Mephibosheth 
that made him faithful to David. I am waiting for the king. I know this could be my chance to become the king because David's on the run. I would rather be loyal to David and forsake the kingdom than to grab this kingdom and forsake David. He's faithful. He's faithful to the one who has shown mercy to him. That's how mercy and kindness change us. It makes us faithful people. Secondly, it's a little awkward. Ziba has gained some power and some influence. He's got all this land and David weirdly says, hey, we'll just split it. Okay, I gave it to you. Then I gave it to Ziba. Now you guys just split it 50-50. And here's what's fascinating. What does Mephibosheth say? Does he go, wait, 50-50? Are you kidding me? He deceived me. Look at my toenails for crying out loud. Look what I did for you. No, what does he say? He can have it all. He can have it all. As long as it means I still have a place at your table, he can have it. My point is, he doesn't protest. He, he essentially says, David, you have shown me mercy and kindness, so let's show it to him too. He deceived me and he deceived you. He did us both dirty. But if you can show mercy to me, a dead dog, we can show mercy to him. He forgives him and, and gives him the entire inheritance. Another meaning, another way to translate the name Mephibosheth. Remember earlier I said it means breathing shame. Another way to translate it is dispeller of shame. He cuts it away. That's what he's doing right here. He, he should look at Ziba and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Look what you did to us and punish him. But he doesn't. He offers him mercy and forgiveness. And that's what the gospel does for us, brothers and sisters. It dispels our shame. The mercy of Christ dispels all of our shame. Final thing I want you to see here. Uh, go back to chapter nine and I'll wrap this up. It's an odd ending, isn't it? It ends weird. Um, sorry, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, so he's welcome to the table. He always ate at the king's table. And then it ends like this. Now he was lame in both his feet, which just seems mean, right? Like we already know this about him. Why you got to say that? And I've always wrestled, like, why is this here? Why, why does it end like that? And, and here's what I think. I think... I don't know for certain. Bo was always, 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 always dependent on the mercy of the king. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He, he could never leave the king's table on his own. He, could never, he never got to the place where he could come to the king's table under his own power or leave the king's table and make it on his own. He was always, always, always dependent on the king. And so are we. See, you will never be the kind of person who is faithful to the Lord or other people. You will never be the kind of person who extends mercy to others. You will be ne never be the kind of person who's dependent on Jesus until you realize that you are Mephibosheth, that you're the one crippled and broken in spirit, and it's the king's kindness that has welcomed you to his table. And only those who've received the mercy of God will be faithful and merciful and stay dependent. It's one of the reasons people ask me sometimes why we do communion every week, because in many traditions, it's not something you do weekly. It's something you do quarterly or monthly or whatever. Um, one of the reasons we do communion weekly is this very reminder from this very text. He ate always at the king's table, but he was lame in both of his feet. When you and I come to these tables, we are invited to feast at our, this, is a, this is a foretaste, right, of the eternal feast that we will enjoy with our king one day. And we come to these tables not because of anything worthy in us, not because of anything that we've earned, not because of anything that, that God sees in us. He's like, all right, I want you on my team. We come for the sake of Jesus. We are welcome to the table 
as favored sons and daughters of the Most High God because of the life and death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And we are welcome to these tables. Um, it, it, in, um, in Psalm 23, uh, the, there's a, a little line. I'm, I'm sure we all know it by heart probably, but listen to this. This is a Psalm of David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy has said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That promise is yours in Christ. And when we come to these tables, we're this, uh, this month and maybe for the rest of the summer, we're going back to what we call self-serve, right? We've had people here at stations saying to you, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ spilled for you. Uh, these stations are now gonna be independent. So you come on your own, okay? But, but today, specifically today, here's what I want you to think about. When I come to this table, Jesus is serving me. Jesus is serving me. He says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is my blood spilled for you to welcome you to my table always forever. You belong. And you come with your crippled heart, right? And your boat broken, busted up life. And you come and you partake of this glorious sacred meal, which is a foretaste of the promise that's yours to come. Amen? All right, two questions. Um, I think they're gonna be on the screen and then we'll move to our time of response. First question is this, how big a difference has the kindness and mercy of God made in my life? If you say you've received the kindness and mercy of God and it hasn't changed you, I don't know that you've really received the kindness and mercy of God. If it hasn't impacted you significantly, it's because you think you too highly of yourself and not highly enough of what Christ has done for you, straight up. How big a difference has the kindness and mercy of God made in my life? When I think about who I really am, who I really am before a holy and righteous God and what Jesus has done for me to welcome me to his table, what, what change, what difference would that make in me? And maybe, maybe some of you are here today and you've never crossed that threshold of faith and you don't know what the kindness and mercy of God is like, I'm gonna invite you today to step into faith, turning away from your sin and yourself and turning to Jesus. And, and I promise you, you will experience, but maybe for the first time, the overwhelming kindness and mercy of God and you will never be the same. Second question, how can I show the kindness and mercy of God to others this week? If I, if I have been and am being changed by this said of God, is there anyone in my life that I can display said to? Now that doesn't mean you gotta go find some you know, lame, crippled person on the side of the road. Maybe you do. You know, it could be as simple as this, forgiving your spouse. It could be as simple as being gentle with your children. It could be as simple as picking up the phone and calling that person you've been estranged from because they hurt you. See, there's all kinds of ways that this can happen. But if I've experienced the kindness and mercy of God, how can I show the kindness and mercy of God to other people this week? All right, I think I'm done. <laughs> I'm a preacher, I'm never done, okay? <laughs> Let me pray, and then I'm gonna invite you to the tables. Um, just as an FYI, we're doing the same way, we're offering in the same way. So you at the back will be the first to come. You'll make your way down this aisle. You will, um, you're receiving, you're not taking communion, you're receiving communion, okay? You will grab a piece of bread, which is, these are gluten-free wafers uh, for everyone. You'll dip into the juice or the wine and you are remembering Jesus is offering you this sacred meal as a reminder, okay? Uh, you're not obligated to come. If you're a Christian and you don't feel ready to take communion today, to receive communion, don't. Uh, if you're not a Christian, please don't receive communion. But for those of you who want to, uh, as an expression of your faith, uh, you're welcome to these tables. Um, let me pray and we'll move on. Father, thank you for the hased 
of Jesus. Demonstrated vividly in his life, perfect, sinless, above reproach, his death, sacrificial for all of our failures and sins and shortcomings, his glorious resurrection from the dead, sealing our inheritance as the sons and daughters of God. Loved with the same ferocity that Jesus himself is loved with. Thank you for that. I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who has not experienced the hesed of God, the forgiveness, the love, the mercy of God, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would just even quietly in their seat say, Jesus, I don't know what all of this means, but I know that you are real and I wanna be saved. And so I turn from my sin, I turn from myself, I turn to you and I say, please save me. Please help me experience your kindness and mercy. And Lord, your word promises if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And so would you do that even in this moment? As we respond in communion, in singing, in giving of our tithes and offerings, would you be glorified? And as we sing these final songs, would we rejoice loudly at the mercy of our God? We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask your blessing in the name of Jesus. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Be still for a moment. When I get up, that'll be the signal for you in the back that the tables are open. You can come receive communion.